Hello, my name is Anne, and I'm so glad you've joined us for worship today. As we continue, I'd like to share a few things with you. First of all, if this is your first time in worship with us, let us know. Stop by one of our connecting points just outside this worship space where volunteers and members of our staff will be ready to welcome you and answer any questions you may have about the life of our church. Next week, we begin a new series called A Baby Changes Everything. As we mark the season of Advent and journey towards Christmas, we will take a look at the story of the birth of Jesus and how this tiny baby born in a manger would transform the world. You won't want to miss this. In two weeks, we have our final starting point of the year. For those of you ready to join First Methodist Mansfield as an official member, Starting Point is the place to be. Starting Point is a casual and relaxed gathering led by senior pastor David Alexander, where you learn all about our church, our mission, what we believe, and what it means to be a member. This final starting point of the year will take place in our chapel on Wednesday, December 2nd at 6.30. If you have any questions or wish to RSVP, stop by the connecting point or visit www.firstmethodistmansfield.org forward slash starting point. Remember, First Methodist is a church dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God, love others, and serve the world. So if you are looking for ways to begin your journey of faith or take the next step in your faith journey, let us know. Stop by one of the connecting points so we can help. As always, to stay connected to the latest news and happenings around First Methodist, be sure to check out the website and follow us on social media. I'm so glad you're here for this special Orphan Awareness Weekend. The story of adoption is deeply woven into our narrative of our scriptures. Today, as you hear from our pastors, I pray that you know more fully God's heart for adoption, but also the many ways your story intersects with it. I want in my family. I want a house with lights. Don't hit on me. I want no drugs. Don't get drunk. No lice and no bug in the bed. A clean bed with covers. Nice clean clothes. Nice shoes. Today's essay is titled, My Family. Tell me about your family, what you love about your family, what you would like in a family. Help me with school. Help me read. Help me get school stuff. Let me keep my games. Don't sell my toys. Don't kill my pets. food and a house with running water a TV in the house my own soap my own comb my own toothbrush
treat me fair. No yelling and no fighting. I want love. begin our time by uh, thanking our, our creative media team who worked very hard uh, writing and producing uh, that, that video for us that is uh, at the same time heartbreaking and hopeful uh, and I think uh, did a great job of really expressing the heart uh, of this church, uh, the heart of God and, and, and this weekend in particular. So I'm very thankful for them and, and the hard work that they put in in, in producing that film uh, for us. Uh, if we haven't met before, uh, my name is Johnny, and I serve as one of your pastors here at First Methodist. Welcome welcome to Church Day. Uh, those of you that are here in the well, those of you upstairs in the well cafe, uh, it has been an amazing morning of worship uh, in, in both places. Our scripture today can be found in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you're down here in the well, uh, there are Bibles underneath the seat in front of you. If you did not bring one with you today, you feel free to use that one. Upstairs, there is a shelf uh, near the back that you can grab one if you need one. And our scripture today is going to be found on page 1814. 1814. We'll be getting to that in just a minute, so you got plenty of time to find it. Uh, but today, on this Orphan and Vulnerable Children Awareness Weekend, what I want to talk about is God's heart for adoption. It's evident throughout our scriptures, both Old and New Testament, that God has a great concern for the most vulnerable in society, and often the most vulnerable are characterized by orphans and widows. Uh, this weekend is, a spe is very special to me uh, as an adoptive father, uh, and my family as well. Uh, I know upstairs Holly probably shared with you a little bit about this, uh, but just over two years ago, my wife and I returned from Uganda with a three-year-old in tow, and it was quite an incredible journey. And I know it was a journey that many of you followed closely uh, with us and joined us uh, through prayers and support. Many of you are still uh, surrounding us with prayers uh, and support, joining us on this journey as we figure out uh, the, the chaos it is to be a parent uh, and just the joy that comes along with that. The whole process for us uh, of adoption uh, was, was a big one, but most of all, we will always remember it because it is a testament to God's faithfulness. It's a testament to the power of prayer uh, and the importance of a church family that surrounds you uh, in times of need. It's an absolutely wonderful and amazing uh, story to tell, but it is not a story that I'm going to tell this morning. And that's really for two reasons, because this story isn't just mine and Holly's story to tell. It's also Charlie's story. And when we begin to tell the story in full, we want him to be a part of telling it. Now, we know that certainly there are portions that we experienced that he didn't, portions that we're aware of that he was not. Um, but really, the full story is incomplete without Charlie's perspective and his portion of that story. So one day, uh, we will tell it alongside him, and we can't wait uh, for that day to come. But until then, we will wait. Uh, the second reason, and maybe most importantly, is this, that our story, Holly and I's story of adoption, is not the story of adoption. It certainly is a story, but it's not the only one. 
Adoption uh, in this it is so complex. It is such a big subject. It takes on various forms and, and, and consequences, and it, it's born out of uh, um, different circumstances. There is no way within the context of a 20-minute sermon that we can begin to go through all the nuances uh, of, of adoption and what it means to go through that. But what I do want to do is, with the remainder of our time, is share with you the greater, the much larger story of adoption that we find in our scriptures. And to find that this story of adoption is really all of our story of adoption. It's, a part, it's one that we all take part in. It is a metaphor through which many of the New Testament writers will explain the experience of God's grace. And that is something relevant to all of us. So I want to do that, and then I want to narrow our focus just a bit by thinking through how our personal and individual experience of grace through God's adoption would then translate into an expression of grace. So we're going to talk about adoption as uh, an experience of grace and adoption as an expression of that grace. And to do that, I want to start by asking you to think about a word. And this word is home. When I say that word and you think about it, what pictures pop up in your mind? Uh, what do you feel? Uh, what emotions do you have? Are they positive? Are they negative? Home is such a powerful and complex word because it's so much more than just a house, though often those words are used interchangeably. Home is so full it's so all-encompassing. It's not just a physical place, but it's a spiritual and an emotional place in which we reside. We've all heard the phrase, we've probably used the phrase that home is where the heart is, right? We use that phrase, that phrase exists because we know it to be true. That home is so much more than just an address. It's so much more than that. And it's where our heart resides. It's a dynamic word. It's a dynamic word in that it doesn't have a specific definition. It doesn't have a specific standard by which homes can be measured. But we all have one. And we all long for one. And it's dynamic in the sense that whether our current or past experience of home is good or bad, universally, we all expect home to be good. What I mean by that is this. You could have grown up in a home that was not healthy a home that was negative, a home that you did not want to be a part of. And though your recollection of home was negative, your expectation of home is positive. You long for it. You long for a place full of love, full of care. Home should be a place of an encouragement, a place where you belong, a place of safety and of refuge and of grace. Home is a place to love and be loved to know and be known, to live. And it's a powerful longing that I believe is shared universally across time and cultures. And I think that's what makes the gospel so powerful because it speaks directly to that longing deep inside each and every one of us. And Jesus certainly understood this longing, this, this desire deep down within us to be brought home again, to have a place to belong, And throughout scriptures, we find Jesus often appealing to that longing that we have for home. We have but to look at one of the most beloved parables that Jesus tells, one of the most popular ones, uh, the parable of the lost son in Luke chapter 15. You might know it as uh, the parable uh, of the prodigal son. 
In this story, you know the story, so I'm just going to cliff notes it for you, that we have a son, we have two sons, really, and a father, right? And one of those sons decides that he doesn't want to be there anymore. He wants to abandon his home and his family, and he wants to go off, and he wants to seek his own way. And so he does so, even though it really hurts his family back home. He goes off to, to find his own way, but he finds out that life was much harder than he had imagined out there. He squanders all the money that was given to him, and he finds himself in a very desperate place. And it's in that desperation that the son, believing fully that he is not worthy to be considered a son anymore, decides to go back to the house, uh, his father's house, where he grew up, to return as a servant, as an employee, not as a member of the family, but somebody who would work there, because at least there he could find food, and he could find work, and he might find some rest. But upon returning to that place, what he finds is that as his father runs out to him to embrace him, that he never ceased to be his father's child. Not once did he cease to be his father's child, and not once did that place ever cease to be home for him. It is home for him again and always will be home for him. Jesus does it over and over again. John chapter 14, Jesus speaks to the uh, disciples as he is about to leave. He knows he's about to be crucified and he's going to ascend into heaven. And he tells them, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. And I will come back for you. I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus over and over again appeals to this deep longing inside every one of us. These stories, especially the story of the lost son, resonates with so many of us because it touches something deep inside us that longs to belong and to be reconciled to God, even though we may believe ourselves to be unworthy. To have a place where we are always welcome and a place that we can rest when we are weary. To know a grace that is so big that no matter what, we never stop being God's children, and nothing ever separates us from his love. The Apostle Paul, uh, as we move, move along in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul actually takes this a step further, understands these teachings of Jesus, understands the longing of each and every one of us, and when he begins to describe this experience of grace, he uses this word, adoption. Now, he uses it at least three times in the New Testament. I'm going to speak from one here in Ephesians, but it's also uh, in Romans. You'll find it in Galatians. Over and over again, Paul really goes back to this word adoption as for him probably the best descriptor of our experience of grace. Adoption is an experience of grace. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, if you would look along with me, if you've found it in your Bibles by now, it says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now we're going to stop there. If you've never read Ephesians, it's really good. You should keep going because it, it's so beautiful the way he writes it. But Paul really fancies himself a good speaker and writer. 
And, and Paul really liked to impress people with his speech and his rhetoric. And so uh, Paul tends to pack a lot in his sentences, right? And if we don't stop and pause and kind of dissect those sentences, we can kind of get lost in what Paul's trying to say. So that's what we're going to do here. We're going to begin in verse 5. Verse 5, he says this, that in love he, meaning God, predestined us for adoption. Predestined, meaning predetermined. Meaning God already made up his mind that we would be adopted by him through Jesus. John Wesley, you may have heard of him, the founder of the, the Methodist movement, that uh, one of the branches grows into the United Methodist Church in which we sit today. Uh, John Wesley would have understood this as prevenient grace. That's a fancy word meaning the grace that goes before. A grace that exists in us and for us before we ever know it exists. Before we could ever accept it for ourselves. That God has grace for us. And that God means to make us his children. That God views us in such a way. There's a grace that exists before us. Now, this word is often misinterpreted in, in, in theological realms, uh, can be misinterpreted or interpreted as uh, maybe God knew from the beginning of time certain people who would be called his children, right? And only those people. But the way we would understand it, the way Wesley would understand it, is that this is prevenient grace. This is God predetermining for all people that through Christ we would be called his children, Predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Adoption to sonship, right? In the first century Rome, uh, a very legalistic society, adoption or adoption to sonship was a legal term. It meant that it represented a, a, a boy or a, a young man that was adopted by a family, adopted to sonship, which meant he became a son. Not a secondary member of the family, but a first-rate member of the family, a, mem a, a full member an heir with full rights to inheritance. This meant you were as good as blood in the family, right? Now, in these times, inheritances and, and you know, all got passed down uh, through men only, right? And so the adoption to sonship was obviously very targeted right at males. But we know today, as we have grown as a society, that that is not the case that anybody uh, becomes an heir, right? Anybody uh, can have an inheritance. So if we are to read Paul through our modern lens, this would be adopted to son and daughtership, right? This is available to all. It's not specific to a gender. Um, but this is an open call, again, as we look at both of these uh, ideas of God being predetermined for people and for all people, regardless of gender, this is an inclusive, this is God wants all people to be considered his children. So the way Paul understands this experience of grace is this. If we were to rephrase him, it says this. Out of God's unending love, God predetermined through, that through Jesus Christ, we are all called God's children to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one, Jesus, he loves. This I believe, is the heart of the gospel. This is the good news for all people. The good news that we know and the good news that we share. And it is this, that because of grace, we are called God's children. It is that simple. 1 John chapter 3 says it this way, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. God's heart for adoption 
to bring us into his family extends to each and every one of us. And because of Jesus, we find our home in God. But it doesn't end there. Our experience of God's grace is not the end of the story because an experience of grace should always lead to an expression of grace. An an experience of grace should always lead to an expression of grace, which means as we receive grace, so shall we extend grace. As we are transformed by God's love, so shall we participate in the transforming with love. As we experience God's adoptive heart, so shall we adopt God's heart. First, uh, we, we definitely understand this in our church here. I believe this is a church that knows the heart of God, that, that, that lives to serve, that understands that uh, our faith should shine out and should turn into something that is tangible, or we actually are transforming uh, the world. First, country, first century Christians understood this as well, and they acted on it just the same. And in some ways, they acted on it quite literally. In the first century Rome, uh, there was a practice that was not new to Rome. This is a practice that had been throughout time, and one that had been condemned and spoken against uh, by, by early Jews, and then uh, moving on through the early Christians, acting on this as well. But in first century Rome, there was a practice that was called exposing. Now, like I said, infanticide, it was, it was nothing new, um, but exposing, we actually find uh, archaeological records of existing in first century Rome. And what exposing is, is if there was a child um, that you could not care for anymore or that you did not want, you would expose it. That means you would leave it somewhere. You would leave it out, and it would either, in almost every case, it would die because of the elements. It was exposed to the elements and unprotected. Uh, There are records found um, of archaeological digs where they find these, what we would call mass graves of small children. And some of them you'll find in places that exist Uh, underneath what was a brothel uh, in the sewer. Um, You'll find them in what were city dumps. You'll find them along what what was the city wall. And it would happen, we find records uh, of letters that were written from from husbands to wives that would say um, that that you are pregnant and if you are so blessed to have a boy, um, raise him, nurture him. But if you have a girl expose it. If a baby maybe was, um, uh, had a deformity or, or was weak in a culture that valued strength, uh, the baby would be exposed uh, and left out. There are many reasons that a baby could have been unwanted and then would have been exposed, would have been left aside. Some of those things were because of sin. This is what we've talked about. But there were, that's not the whole story. There were often cases where exposing would happen, where an abandonment of a child would happen um, out of mercy, out of great love for the child. And I know that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but often there were families that were in such a desperate state. Maybe they already had kids in in themselves, and they could barely take care of themselves. They were so poor, and they they could barely feed the kids they had, and and maybe they accidentally got pregnant, and there was another child, and they knew that they could not care for this child, and so in a last act of desperation, they would leave it in hopes that somebody would come by and pick it up and care for it. 
So sometimes it was out of sin, and sometimes it was out of pure desperation. And there was a hope that somebody would come by and care for it. And these first century Christians were those somebodies. They understood who they were to God and, and, and being adopted into God's family and not deserving of that grace. They knew that there are these children that were helpless and they were vulnerable and they needed somebody to care for them. And so they would come by and they would find these kids and they would pick them up and they would care for them. In some cases, it meant that they would adopt those children as their own. They would be a part of their family. They would raise them. They would feed them. They would protect them. They would care for them. And in other cases, it meant that they would find the family of that child. And they would return that child to the family and then support that family in order that they could remain together and that they could be healthy and safe. So the spirit of adoption acted out didn't always mean that somebody else had to take care of that child. It often meant supporting a family that needed that help. And so they would go either way, whichever, was, uh, whichever one was available to them. Adoption is a powerful way to experience grace, but also to express or share that grace with the world. These early Christians felt a call to engage the world, to share God's heart. And we today are called to do the same to share the heart of God by living into our adoption, to be his children, and to have the same heart for the world. Now this has a very broad meaning. To share that heart of adoption and to live into it in the world is to view every single person that we meet as God's children, to understand them as fully known and loved by God, and that changes the way we interact with them. That means that affects the way we treat our spouses, our kids, our parents, our friends, our bosses, our employees, our coworkers, the people that cut us off in the parking lot of Target, you know, everybody is a child of God. And we view them differently. When we view them that way, it changes the way we interact with them. It changes the way we extend grace because we know that everybody is extended grace freely by God. So shall we do the same. It is a call to live out this gospel by engaging brokenness in the world. To engage the needs of our community and not ignore them and not hide from them. To heal the hurting that exists. To mourn with those that mourn. To give refuge to refugees. To give a voice to those that are voiceless. To care for our homeless and our prisoners, the forgotten, the abused, our veterans, the sick, the hungry. To share God's heart for adoption is to lead people to find their rest in God, to find their home with God again, and to be a living and breathing presence of God's transformative grace. Living into our adoption is very big. But on this specific weekend, on this Orphan and Vulnerable Awareness Weekend, what I want to do is I want to draw our attention and awareness to the specific needs of our orphans and vulnerable children. You saw in the video some pretty staggering statistics, 400,000 kids uh, in foster care. That means there's tons of support and prayers needed for these children, for these foster families, maybe for the birth families as well, as we surround the system with our support and our care and our prayer. 100,000 kids in the U.S. alone are waiting for a family, waiting to be adopted. 
You'll find in your bulletin a, a, a little flyer here that is uh, provided by Project Moses. If you're not aware of Project Moses, uh, it's a community of support that was started here in our church to care for and to support adoptive and foster families. They do some really great things, and, and too many to even list. There's tons of stuff here that I hope you will, you'll read and act upon. But uh, I want you to know that following the service, there'll be Project, uh, Project Moses members uh, outside each of these venues um, that'll be there to, to answer any questions you may have, to give you some resources. Uh, if you have questions about being a foster or an adoptive family, if you have questions about how to support one, if you're not specifically called to be a foster or adoptive family, or maybe uh, answering questions on how to be supported if you are an adoptive um, or foster family. But what I want to do as we close, um, we're going to share in a time of prayer together, an extended time of prayer, uh, as we pray over God's heart for adoption and how that's being lived out uh, in our church and in our community, ways that we can participate and support. Uh, and we're also going to share in a time uh, of Holy Communion, a time where we gather around uh, God's table, God's family table for us. What I want to say is this, that you'll find in, in the book of James uh, in the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 27. Now James, if you're unfamiliar with that book, James uh, is one of those really dangerous books to read um, if you don't want your life messed with a little bit. Uh, James is very bold in, in, in how he asks us to live out our faith. Right? And one of the first things that James see fit to do is in chapter 1, verse 27, he says this, that the truest, the purest, the most wholesome religion is one that cares for orphans and widows. That's what James says. That it's not the only thing, but the purest form is when we care for the most vulnerable in society, those that often cannot care for themselves. James says that is the purest form of our religion. Which means that some of us in this room are called, have been feeling that leading and that calling to be a foster family or an adoptive family. But not everybody in this room. Some people are called to support those that are, that, are led to that calling. We are not all called in the same way, but we are all called. We all respond. So as we enter into this time of prayer and as we enter into our time of communion, I want you to keep in your heart, one, your experience of grace, the knowledge that you are a child of God, and what does that do? How does that make you feel? How does that change you, or how has it changed you? And then secondly, where, where might God be calling you to live out your adoption, to live into being a child of God, being a part of that family? Where is God leading you? And those will hopefully be two things that um, you will carry with you um, outside of this place. Let's join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you humbled by your love. We are astounded by your grace because it is so great and so abundant and so present with us always. Flood our hearts, God, with the knowledge of you and your love for us, that we may be called your children, that we may find our rest, our hope, and our home in you. Lord, there is a great need in this world 
a need that is nothing new to you, God, but we ask now that you give us hearts that break like yours. Give us the eyes to see your will at work and the needs of your children that surround us. Give us the strength and the courage to step into the dark places so that we can be your light. Give us your heart of adoption that we may give freely of your grace. This morning, God, we lift up the orphaned and vulnerable children among us that they may find safety and peace and love. We pray for their provision, for you are our provider. We pray, God, for birth families, for moms and dads who find themselves doubting whether they can adequately care for their children and may feel like they have no other choice but to give them up or abandon them, God. We pray that they find the support that they so desperately need. And may we have eyes to see and hearts to be your rescue and your strength, God, as we surround them with your love. God, we pray for moms and dads that have a child that may call some other place home. We pray that they know your grace, that they may be released from any burden of guilt, God, and that we grieve with them as they grieve. And God, that they, are know, that they know that they are not forgotten. That they are loved and cherished. God, we pray for families that may be considering fostering or adoption. We pray for wisdom and discernment. We pray for strength and perseverance, God. We pray that they follow you and your leading. God, speak to them. Lead them. We pray that those that may not be specifically called to foster or adopt, God, that they answer your call by caring and supporting families and ministries that are. May we be ever supportive and ever present as you are, God, with our prayers and our presence and our resources. God, we know that you are a worker of miracles. May we not pray idly by, God, hoping that you will just solve all the world's problems, God, we pray that we may find ourselves in places that need miracles. That we may, by your grace and your strength, be the answers to prayer. God, we trust you. Because we know that you hold it all. And now, God, as we join together at your table, at the family table to which you have called all of us, your children, May we be attentive to you leading us into your grace and into the world. Amen.